So we're doing a EA organization updates. I am very excited about. It's a really fun blitzkrieg through, maybe blitzkrieg isn't the best word, but um, <laughs> through what everybody's up to, what's going on right now. And we are going to start with Ben Todd, co-founder and director of 80,000 Hours. Did I get your title right? Okay, excellent. Go ahead. And this is for recording purposes for the camera. Okay, hi everyone. Um, so 80,000 Hours, we provide career advice for people who want to have a big social impact with their career. And what we've got is an online guide that tells you what to look for in a high-impact career. We have a quiz which recommends high-impact career options you might not have thought of already. And we have a step-by-step -step process to go through to make your career decisions. So we're kind of aiming to be the give well of careers. Uh, we also do one-on-one -on -one coaching, but that's temporarily closed because we're focusing on online content at the minute. So why are we doing this? Um, over 30% of young graduates today say they want to have a social impact with their career, but they basically have nowhere to go for advice. And because some careers have way more impact than others, that means a lot of um, the, like our best, most talented students, a lot of their potential for impact is being wasted every year. So, so far, we've caused 188 significant plan changes, which is our key impact metric. And that's been, if you take all of our costs and divide by the number of plan changes, you get $3,000 um, per plan change. And that's been going down over time um, from like $5,000 a couple of one or two years ago. And we think each of those is worth far more than $3,000. Um, of those pursuing earning to give who have the biggest earning potential, uh, they say that over the next three years, they intend to donate an extra $10 million to high-impact charities because of 80,000 hours, um, over $10 million. That wouldn't happen otherwise. And then there's also been five effective altruist nonprofits which now have um, professional staff um, founded, which likely wouldn't exist without us. And then other people have pursued careers in research and politics, and we think those might be just as or even more important. So due to all this evidence of impact, over the last year we decided to move from what we're calling our development phase, where we focused on research and proof of concept, into our growth phase. And since then, we've been in Y Combinator. Over the last two months, we've increased use of the online guide 2.5x. Uh, we had 20,000 uniques a month before, um, two months ago. Now we're at 50,000. Um, going forward over the rest of the year, uh, we're, so Will's book has just been released, so we'll be writing all the media behind that. We want to write a lot more career profiles, which will make the guide a lot better, and we think we'll bring in a lot more people to the website. And we want to do a lot of outreach with the EA student groups with the aim of kind of saturating Harvard, Cambridge, Oxford, MIT, Stanford, Berkeley, um, getting them using the guide. So, yeah, based on all of that, we want to be at 5x um, growth by the end of the year. By the end of 2016, we want our guide to be the kind of key resource that talented young students go to when they want to have advice on how to have a social impact with their careers and causing a thousand plan changes a year. So how can you help us? Right now, we're looking for a web developer. So if you know anyone, um, please introduce them to me. And we're also fundraising in the next couple of weeks. So if you know anyone who might be interested in donating to us, please also introduce them to me. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, thank you. And next we have Charity Science and with them, co-founder and director, Catherine Savoy. Uh, is the, are the slides ready? 
Hi, my name's uh, Catherine, and I'm the co-founder and executive director of Charity Science, an organization that helps fund raise as much funds as possible for give all recommended charities. You may have seen us kicking around with our peer-to-peer campaigns, like the Donate Your Birthday or Christmas campaign, or most recent one, the Living on Less campaign. The first thing I'm going to tell you about is why we chose fundraising specifically. And, oh, the, um, and the slides aren't changing over. So I'll just let you mull on that for a bit. Aha, there we go. Um, so the first thing I'm going to tell you about is why we chose fundraising specifically. And that's the same reason you start any meta-organization. It's because we're a multiplier. We can use $1 to raise more than $1. And so if you donate to us, you can end up helping more people than if you donated to the charity that does the direct work. And we have a track record of accomplishing this. Last year, with our peer-to-peer fundraisers, we raised $9 for every $1 spent, which is really fantastic. However, the year before, you can see that we experimented with grant writing and only raised about $1.30 for every dollar spent, which wasn't so great, so we stopped the project. Which brings me to my next point about fundraising, is that it has a lot of learning value. Most of the research out there is pitiful, because charities won't tell you about what didn't work. That's why we try to be as transparent as possible about both successes and failures, so that other EA organizations can learn about it as well. Um, take, for example, our most recent project, doing shallow reviews of the top 23 most promising fundraising techniques. And we looked at things like expected value, expert opinion, and a research available in the, uh, in the field, and then saw and put them in rough order from least to most promising and published it so everybody could use it. Another benefit of fundraising is that it's neglected. There's a huge stigma around fundraising. So charities are afraid of fundraising too much. But we're an EA organization who are funded by EAs, who don't care about overhead costs. And so we're able to help the charities get more money than they would have otherwise gotten. Also, fundraising is flexible, allowing us to update based on new evidence and keeping our option value high. If a new charity comes out that's more cost-effective, or we find out the one that we're currently fundraising for isn't as good as we thought it was, we can simply fundraise for a new one. In keeping with that flexible mindset, we view all of our interventions as experiments. So, and this is because we want to see um, help as many people as possible, and along the way, we want to avoid a very common trap that charities fall into, namely failing and not realizing it. See, um, when things don't go according to plan, it's very easy to rationalize and say, no, 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 things are going great. We're having tons of impact. And a lot of charities waste all of their good intentions this way. However, if you see it as an experiment and things don't go according to plan, you just learn really, really valuable information. Another way we avoid rationalization is pre-committing to what would count as a success or failure. We say if we raise more than this amount, we'll scale the project. If we raise between this and this amount, we'll just maintain it at its current level. And if we raise below a certain amount, we'll scratch the project entirely. The next thing I'm going to tell you about is our plans for the future. Our plan for the next year is based on the shallow reviews I mentioned earlier. We looked at all the most promising techniques, figured out what made most sense given our current context and capacity, chose the top three. Legacy fundraising, niche marketing, and online ads. Legacy fundraising is helping put people put give all recommended charities into their wills. This has the highest return on investment of any known technique. The next highest one raises $8 for every $1 spent, and legacy fundraising raises $22 for every $1 spent. It's huge. The second experiment we're going to do is niche marketing. This is modeled off of REG, or Raising for Effective Giving, and they are fantastic, and what they do is they promote EA ideas to poker players specifically, and they've had a huge amount of success. Last year, they raised $10 for every $1 spent, or looked at another way, they net moved $500,000. So we want to see if we can generalize this to other demographics, such as people working in programming or finance, and see whether a targeted message can work better than a generalized one. Our last experiment is with online ads. And we chose this for three main reasons. Number one, it seems like a potentially good way to get more people into the movement who wouldn't have otherwise heard about it. Number two, and this is my favorite, it's because it has potential to become a kind of passive impact generator because of its automatic nature. 
And lastly, because Google gave us very generously $10,000 a month in online ads for free, which is pretty awesome. Thank you, Google. Um, <laughs> and so those are our three experiments for this year, on top of, of course, expanding and scaling up our previous success of peer-to-peer. Our long-term plan is to experiment with all the most promising fundraising techniques, scale up the ones that work, and stop the ones that don't. Our vision is to have an organization that runs only the most efficient techniques, such that we can use a budget of just $100,000 to raise a million a year. Of course, as with all good long-term plans, we have a lot of flexibility built into the model. So if we have more or less funding and more or less staff than we're expecting, we can simply do more experiments sooner or less experiments. Um, which brings me to my last and final point, that we are expanding in both staff and budget so if you're looking for a place to donate to that can help you potentially multiply your impact, please do talk to me, Catherine, or Joey Savoy, who you might see around. He's my co-founder and husband. And, um, or if you're looking to work at an EA organization in a startup-like environment with a lot of really cool, like, dedicated, intelligent EAs, please do contact either of us. We're looking for people with great communication skills, but most importantly, exceptionally open-minded. And that's all the time I have for today. Thank you very much. I look forward to Q&A. Thank you, Catherine. Um, are we good for going ahead to the next person? I'm just going to do it. Um, so, John, I didn't give you any warning. <laughs> you were up next. Um, so, John is the director of outreach for Giving What We Can. And so, some, the next person does have warning. Rory will be after <laughs> John. <laughs> there you go. All right, thank you very much. Uh, I'm here today to talk about Giving What We Can. Uh, my name is Jonathan Courtney. I'm the director of outreach. Uh, and in the next five minutes, I'm going to be very quickly talking about uh, what Giving What We Can is, what we've been up to over the last year, and hopefully uh, where we are going. So now we're going to find out if it auto advances or not. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, if every 15 seconds was this long, I'd be much more comfortable with these slides. It'd be a lot better for what I'm going for. So, but. Um. I should really prepare like some funny 15 second anecdote for these like like <laughs> awkward pauses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it is just the one slide. I'm just I want to see how long it takes them to catch on. That's the same slide for you know 20 20 slides. All right. So there's two main goals uh, to giving what we can. The first is to encourage people to give more by taking the giving what we can pledge. And the second is to encourage people to give better uh, by giving to our recommended charities or to other charities that have uh, really high impact. Uh, the Giving What We Can pledge, which is uh, written here on the board, uh, is a pledge to give 10% or more of your career income to those charities uh, which you believe are going to have the most impact. So this pledge is both uh, based on uh, evidence and also based on what people believe are the most effective causes. So our current recommendations all work exclusively uh, in global poverty. That's sort of where we started out and we still believe is an incredibly powerful cause area. And they all work on interventions that the evidence has shown uh, are incredibly effective. And the view I, uh, the role I see giving what we can playing in the EA movement is as a sort of concrete action that all EAs can take that allow each and every one of us to have an absolutely incredible impact on the world, no matter what career we're pursuing or otherwise, no matter what, uh, what other actions we're taking. So by taking the giving what we can pledge, uh, anyone in this room, indeed probably anyone you know, can save dozens of lives from malaria or drastically improve the lives of thousands of people throughout the course of uh, your career. So we see it as a sort of action point that all EAs can sort of center around as at least one of the many things we're doing. So as we heard in the keynote, uh, giving what we can started back in 2009, uh, when then graduate students uh, Toby Ord and Will McCaskill sort of gathered around wanting to do a lot more to help the world and indeed to help uh, extreme uh, poverty. Uh, and since then, we've grown 
quite a lot. Uh, this, this past year, just now, we've grown to a group of over uh, 1,100 individuals who signed up to take the pledge uh, with $454 million pledged to be moved uh, and almost $8.5 million moved to uh, extremely effective uh, charities. Uh, and just looking back on the last year, we've over doubled our membership. So July 30th, 2015, we had 555 members. Uh, and July 30th, 2016, we have uh, almost 1,200 uh, members. And you can see all this online uh, on the Giving What We Can dashboard on our website. So uh, on top of doubling our membership, we've also really grown our staff. So we have three new hires this year over doubling our staff. Uh, Allison Women is our director of community who works to connect uh, members of Giving What We Can to one another and help uh, build the movement that way. Uh, we also have another hire, Hauke Hillbrand, who's our director of research, who's already uh, managed to update all of our recommendations to review the literature, has uh, put in some interesting uh, uh, opinions on the current uh, worm wars, which some of you in the development uh, economic space might know about. Um, he's doing some really great research and looking for new charities now. Uh, and we also hired uh, Sam Deere, our director of communications, uh, who used to work uh, in Australian politics and is working to update both our social media strategy and also get us more connected with uh, amazing media organizations like uh, Huffington Post. So those are our three new hires. But of course, the people sticking around have also done some work. So uh, I, over the last uh, six months, have been working on chapter outreach, so on getting contact with both Giving What We Can and EA chapters. Uh, so I'm in regular contact with 40 chapters and have helped to start up 12 new chapters from interested EAs. Uh, just a plug, if anyone here is interested in starting a chapter, you should totally do that. Also, our ED, uh, Michelle Hutchinson, has been hard at work uh, overviewing all the other projects and also running a successful fundraising round of about 150,000 uh, pounds and also getting new high-power trustees on board to promote and guide uh, Giving What We Can to the future. So looking back, uh, we can ask the question, how have we done so far? In our previous fundraising round, we estimated that for every dollar given to giving what we can, uh, we uh, get between 6 and $60 being moved to the most effective charities. And very quickly, because, you know, 15 seconds is not that long, uh, that's based, uh, the six number is based on the money that's been moved counterfactually, only the money that's been moved so far, not the money that's been pledged. And the 60 number, which we think is more realistic, is based both on the money that's moved and the money that's been pledged uh, once a standard discount rate has been applied to the money uh, pledged. So that's where we've been, that's how we've done, where are we going? Well, we're aiming to double membership again this year. It's a very ambitious goal, but we're hoping to achieve it by doing a whole bunch of stuff, which I can't possibly cover in 15 seconds, but we'd be very happy to do so uh, in the Q&A. Um, and uh, just to sort of wrap things up, I want to kind of reflect on a question that's kind of posed in a number of EA forums, which is, what if everyone in the developed world uh, took the pledge, pledged to give 10% to the most effective charities? Um, this is talked about in a number of areas, and basically the number that you get out of 10% of everyone in the first world is $4 trillion. Turns out you can do a lot with $4 trillion, uh, including uh, ending extreme poverty, doing a lot to tackle climate change, uh, funding two-man missions to Mars, uh, and doing a number of other amazing projects. So suffice it to say, we can have a really incredible impact, even if this is the only thing we do. I hope you join us in doing it and take the uh, Giving What We Can pledge if you haven't already. And uh, like many other organizations, we're also looking to hire new people on our team. So if you'd like to be part of growing Giving What we can, uh, please talk to me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was just thinking it reminds me of like a Micro Machines uh, casting call. <laughs> like, I don't know if you remember the Micro Machines, man, fastest talker in the world. Um, anyway, um, so next up we have Rory Donnelly with the Effective Altruism Foundation and Anna, you will be after Rory. Hi everyone, thank you very much for being here. My name is Rory Donnelly and I work for an organization called Raising for Effective Giving. So more on that later. We're a meta charity that promotes effective altruism in the poker community. And um, our parent organization is known as the Effective Altruism Foundation and that's what I'll be giving you updates on today. 
So the Effective Altruism Foundation is an EA organization and meta charity based in Basel in Switzerland. We focus on movement building and research with the goal of maximizing the suffering that we prevent. So we're currently in the process now of renaming. So our old organization was known as GBS Switzerland, and you can see our old logo here. And we're currently in the process of renaming to the Effective Altruism Foundation. And that's what it'll be in English, at least. So in German, this will be Stiftung für Effektiven Altruismus, and as I said, Effective Altruism Foundation in English. And our new logo will probably look something like this. So these are the projects we run, uh, Raising for Effective Giving, Sentience Politics, and we have a collaboration with the Foundational Research Institute. And then we also do outreach simply as EAF itself, at universities and in other areas, giving talks and presentations, this kind of thing. So, Raising for Effective Giving, or REG for short, promotes effective altruism in the professional poker community. REG members pledge to donate at least 2% of everything they win to EA organizations recommended on our website, and this corresponds to about 5% to 10% of their total net earnings. In the years since REG was founded, we've had a lot of success so far. We've moved about $750,000 to effective charities, and we've had a lot of really big names jumping on board, such as Eric Seidel and Martin Jacobson, and we've had about 170 members pledge and sign up so far. This is Martin Jacobson. He's a REG member, and he's poker's current world champion. In 2014, he won uh, the main event at the World Series of Poker and won $10 million there, of which he donated a quarter of a million to EA organizations. REG members can donate to one or several of the effective altruist organizations that REG recommends, and you can see uh, all of them that we recommend on this slide here. Lately, we've uh, discovered that a lot of poker players, we were initially worried that they would be a little turned off by maybe some of the more unusual ideas in the EEA movement, but actually we've found that lately a lot of them, for example, have become very interested in the idea of AI and AI safety as uh, Limit Hold'em, one variant of poker, has just been solved by an AI. So this, uh, this is a slide, so they're worried about losing their jobs. This is a slide on our, um, our money moved, our fund ratio or return on investment in 2014 was about uh, 10 to 1. So another one of our projects, Sentience Politics, uh, takes strategic action for animals and is currently using the Swiss system of direct democracy, whereby you can amass a certain number of signatures for a political initiative, uh, depending on the region, it's a different number of signatures, and then a popular vote has to be held on this topic. So currently, Sentience Politics is getting signatures for basically um, a vote on whether there should be the introduction of more vegetarian and vegan meals to public canteens. And they've also had a lot of success in the Swiss media. The Foundational Research Institute, another project that we collaborate on, is uh, a prioritization research institute to figure out the best ways to prevent uh, suffering in the long-run far future. So uh, this is a picture with Thomas Metzinger. Um, he's a popular philosopher of mind and uh, is interested in having a collaboration with us and possibly having some kind of research institute at his university focusing on suffering, its ethical relevance, and how we can reduce it. This is the blog of the Foundational Research Institute, named after a phrase coined by Nick Bostrom, Crucial Considerations, which you heard about earlier. And um, it's on game-changing ideas in science and philosophy and a lot of EA uh, ideas and higher-level um, content. The Effective Altruism Foundation also does um, outreach at universities and has a career network and will also be having their fifth... Um, camp this September, which will be an EA Global X event. We're also writing position papers, for example, in the area of AI safety and global poverty, um, with the aim of um, having an impact in the policy area. 
some planned projects for the future. Um, one thing that we're hoping to do is to expand the reg model to other areas. One area in particular that we'd like to go into is professional gaming. So we're hoping to have a project called Good Gamer to take the reg model to other areas such as esports. We've also uh, currently had a lot of uh, support from the Twitch community and there's something else we'd like to branch out into. So just to recap very quickly, um, the Effective Altruism Foundation, it has several projects. For example, they are Raising for Effective Giving, Sentience Politics and the Foundational Research Institute. Uh, it's based in Basel in Switzerland. And the goal is to prevent suffering as effectively as possible. So thank you very much for your time. Again, my name is Rory Donnelly. And if you'd like to talk to me about any of the topics in this presentation or about anything else, please feel free to grab me at any time. Or you can always email me at rory at regcharity.org. Thank you. Thanks. And we'll see about the, the, what is now our normal procedure for, <laughs> for the slides. So. JC Anthus is a board member of the Animal Charity Evaluators. Hello, uh, I'm JC Anthus, and the, I'm the chair of the Animal Charity Evaluators Board of Directors. Um, we've had a really exciting year since last summer, and I'll be covering some of our most important achievements, as well as some of our current progress. So I'll tell you about ACE's mission, if it's going. So ACE's mission is to help animals as much as possible. We primarily accomplish this through our uh, recommendations for outstanding giving opportunities, um, but we also see ourselves as uh, leaders in both the effective altruism and animal advocacy communities, um, especially by supporting other researchers in the field. Um, we release new recommendations every year. Um, our current top charities, uh, which were set last December, are Animal Equality, Mercy for Animals, and the Humane League. Um, each of these organizations um, performs exceptionally on our criteria um, and also utilizes a variety of tactics, um, unlike an organization like AMF that only focuses on a single one. Um, so Animal Equality produces and shares undercover investigations documenting animal abuse. Um, they have the most international presence of any of our top charities and have the highest back-of-the-envelope um, cost-effectiveness estimate. Um, Mercy for Animals also focuses largely on undercover investigations as well as online outreach like online ads. Um, all of our top charities do some work on corporate advocacy, legal advocacy, and grassroots outreach. Um, the Humane League is the next one, and they focus on grassroots and online outreach instead of undercover investigations. So um, examples of grassroots outreach include leafleting, uh, Meatless Monday campaigns, and humane education lectures to students. Um, we also currently recommend four standout charities. Um, these charities do similar work. Um, and represent exciting philanthropic opportunities. They're Farm Animal Rights Movement, the Humane Society of the United States, uh, Vegan Outreach, and the Albert Schweitzer Foundation. Um, last summer, ACE conducted a small pilot of the pay-per-view intervention. Um, as you can see here, this consists of paying people a small sum of money in order to watch a video um, on animal agriculture. Um, we found out a similar thing from this study as we have of previous ones, uh, namely that it's very hard to do RCTs um, of this sort of behavioral um, outreach. Um, so we really need to work with other organizations to do this. Right now we're working, uh, looking for collaborations with academic researchers. Um, we have a collaboration going on where we're supporting a study of Facebook ads. Um, it's very exciting. Um, We've also been expanding into our uh, foundational research, which I think is really super fascinating, um, difficult, and also very important. Um, these are questions like, um, what are the sentience of different creatures, um, whether confrontation is effective, and whether we should focus on general promotion of anti-speciesism or on uh, specific um, causes, on specific situations. Um, we conducted an intervention evaluation of 
corporate outreach over the past year, which yielded promising results for certain comprehensive interventions. So corporate outreach seems to do very well um, whenever you're reaching like similar companies and you can change social norms. Um, we've also had blog posts. So for example, we had a post by Ethan Brown, who um, did a very great job of uh, presenting um, uh, animal meat alternatives, um, like those burgers you saw there. Those are called the Beast Burgers. Um, We've also had some high-quality blog posts that explore fresh and new provocative topics in animal advocacy, including a post on wild animals um, by Oscar Horta and a post I wrote on strategic choice in animal advocacy. Um, I think these blog posts have great effects on the animal advocacy community. Um, for example, John Bachman, our executive director, wrote a post um, highlighting how division in the animal advocacy community um, hurts um, animals. Um, so that had some good positive changes for the community. Um, we hired a new researcher named Dee Perez, um, who has a background in uh, grant writing and higher education. Um, she's been doing some wonderful work. Her first project was an internal evaluation of ACE um, that turned out really well, and we were excited to have that. Um, one of my favorite projects at ACE is a social movements research project. So most recently, we've been looking at the children's rights movement, um, which has been yielding some interesting results for how to affect positive social change um, more generally, and then also for animal activism in particular. Um, we conducted a survey of our donors in March 2015. We found that most donors probably wouldn't have donated to farmed animal advocacy charities without us. Um, donors' strongest reasons for supporting us were to increase the quality of our recommendations and to raise support for effective animal advocacy. Uh, we've also published numerous blog posts on our thinking, um, such as uh, our methodology and why we um, avoid rating charities like a group um, like Na Charity Navigator does, and why we only publish charity information with the organization's approval. Um, we're under, currently undertaking an evaluation of uh, undercover investigations, um, which, as I mentioned, are a popular tactic of animal equality and mercy for animals. Um, I'm really excited about this. Um, they have a lot of historical precedents for these sorts of triggering events um, affecting great positive change. So I hope I've given you some sense of what ACE has worked on uh, this year. Most of our work goes into the recommendations we make it at the end of the year, um, so we'll have even more to share that time. Um, please feel free to reach out to us with any questions or comments. Thank you. Okay, and um, <laughs> in the realm of randomness, as this is going, um, Ben, are you good to go next? Okay, um, so Jeff Anders is on the schedule. Unfortunately, he had something come up. Um, he's the co-founder and or founder and executive director of Leverage Research. He's awesome. If you see Jeff around, he will be back around at other times. So I encourage you to talk to him. Um, but Ben will go next, and he is the co-founder of EA Action. Ben Landau Taylor. I didn't say his full name because I know him. So you're Ben. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Uh, you ready? All right. So uh, I am the co-founder of uh, Effective Altruist Action. is a new organization who are uh, just launching, uh, and so we are for uh, people who are approaching effective altruism and are at the state of. Uh, I'm on board with the ideas. I want to be having impact in the most effective way. What do I do? Uh, and so we provide one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching uh, and these, with, with uh, advising sessions where we go through a decision-making process which ends with, this is the specific thing which I should be doing in the short term at the end of them. Uh, so where 80,000 hours is focusing on getting uh, the... getting. I'm sorry, uh, where 80,000 Hours is focusing on 
giving career advising for people who are at the beginning of a uh, choosing their career path uh, for the long term. We're focusing more on what do I do if I want to take on a smaller project? What do I want to do if I'm not ready to commit to uh, the entire uh, rest of my life for, to this? Uh, so bringing people more incrementally into effective altruism. And so I've been working within effective altruism for about uh, three years now doing movement building. I've been looking at, as people get, uh, get involved, where do, people, where do people go? Where do people frequently get stuck? Uh, and so I've been looking at where the process is going, where it's going right, where it's going wrong, and uh, looking at what uh, is the thing which is needed right now. Uh, and so this sort of uh, ability to take all the different considerations uh, that, are, uh, that are coming in and compare them to each other and pick a specific thing to do uh, looks like the part which people frequently very uh, end up having trouble with coming in. Uh, so I've been running tests on the process I've been building for how to uh, think the things through and end up coming to a specific conclusion. I've run uh, tests for about three months. Uh, I think 10 of the people who are at this conference have gone through it, so I encourage you to find them, talk to them about uh, how, that, how that's been helpful. We've been able to get a bunch of it and interesting plan changes. So we've got a, a couple of people who are now uh, doing research on uh, biological risks to society. Uh, one person who was choosing between traditional nonprofit work or working for an EA organization who came down on the latter, uh, the latter decision and is now talking to Center for Effective Altruism. We'll see if that works out. Uh, one person who ended up deciding to fill a leadership vacuum in the uh, Stanford Transhumanist Association and start using that as a recruitment ground for effective altruism. Uh, a bunch of other interesting plan changes you can talk to me about. Uh, and so we are now, it seems to like the process is working, so we are moving out of the testing phase and into the launch phase. So we just put up our website at eaaction.org. Uh, people can go here and sign up for one of the advising sessions, go through our, uh, go through our process. So if you are at the stage of trying to figure out what to do, or if you encounter other effective altruists who are coming in, uh, please go to that page, send them to that page, just uh, click the button to schedule the, schedule the talk, and we will come out with thinking through the things and coming up with specific plans for what the highest impact thing you have of your available options. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Um, Nevin, are you... All right, I saw you come in. I was like, you are at leverage. Okay, um, do you, <laughs> would, would you like to do, oh, oh, there we go. Jeff Anders, also known as Nevin Friedman. <laughs> All right, great. Uh, should, I, should I speak into the microphone? Is that a thing? Got it. Okay, so forgive me for not having prepared. Uh, turns out Jeff was double booked, and so I'm going to try to give a brief organizational update for leverage research. Um, I'll do that by explaining the very basics of what leverage research is, um, and then I'll take questions, uh, because I find that that's a good format to, to share this sort of information. Um, so for those of you who don't know, leverage research is a social science research organization. Um, we were sort of organized to back the EA movement, um, come up with useful tools based on uh, improved social sciences that EA can use uh, to you know, improve the world in a very big way in the long run. Um, 
as you may know, our plans are very long-term, and so uh, we continue to invest in our research um, and plan to roll out uh, the things that we discover over the course of time in order to help the EA movement improve the world as much as possible. Um, right now, our central research focus is still human psychology. Um, and let's go, ahead and, let's go ahead and take questions so that I can uh, give you guys information that you're interested in. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, that, yeah, yeah. Um, so the question was, um, is leverage research focused more on individual rationality or group rationality? Um, and the answer is really both, but there's sort of an order in which we're pursuing these questions. So we've spent really a, a very, very large amount of time focused on individual rationality um, through looking into how it is that the human mind works. Um, and... Uh, our research plan involves scaling that up to small group dynamics, then larger group dynamics, and eventually sociology. So what's been a major change at Leverage Research over the past year? Um, well, we've had an interesting organizational structure change um, where we've gone from allowing people to uh, sort of tailor their individual research focus in whatever direction they've decided um, to organizing people in teams and um, and thus running uh, slightly larger group projects um, and you know as you can imagine explaining the details of how that works is sort of complicated and I'd be happy to talk about it with people afterwards um, but that's that's maybe the the largest change that you know comes to mind right now as far as uh, over the past year in our organization so our core area of focus as I've explained is individual human psychology um, and so at this point we have a novel psychology paradigm that purports to explain, you know, sort of all of human thought and behavior and beliefs. Um, and so one way you can think about the research that we're doing right now is not really trying to expand that theoretical paradigm, but trying to take that and turn it into effective practice. So, so the way I like to explain this is that um, we're trying to have it be that uh, we can sort of outcompete all techniques for modern psychotherapy, right, or, or modern, modern therapy, talk therapy, um, so that we can, you know, basically take an individual who has some sort of psychological problem that spans, you know, huge spectrum problems, um, understand what's going on with their mind, and, uh, and then help them solve that problem uh, in terms of changing their psychological state. And so one thing that we spend a lot of time doing is using our theoretical understanding and sitting down with people, you know, who have various different psychological blocks and, uh, and, and then trying to solve those based on that understanding. And so this leads to a sort of iterative research and development process where we have uh, better and better tools for doing that over the course of time. So that, that's the uh, main line of our research. Okay, uh, last question? Okay, so two questions. Um, one is what are our focuses outside of individual psychology, and the second is um, how are we funded? What's our revenue model? Um, so for the first question, um, basically the way to think about it is that we, um, as I've explained, are aiming at expanding to larger and larger groups of people. Um, it's really hard to understand interactions between people if you don't understand the individual units. Um, but that being said, uh, we do have some people who are focusing on those larger groups already. Um, we have one researcher in particular who I could introduce you to if you're interested in this, um, who's who spent like a huge amount of time trying to understand all of human history in order to come up with um, sort of sound theories of overall human sociology in order to you know figure out how do we build a robust society 
um, in order to handle you know the, the major problems that might be thrown at society. Um, so, so yes, there is a bit of variety already. Um, and, and one more thing I should mention, um, if you have more interest in learning about the details uh, of our work, I highly suggest that you come on Monday night uh, at, I think it's about 8 p.m., uh, to our headquarters in Oakland, where we're going to have a party. Um, and this is a time for people to come and talk to us and get a bunch more details about what we're working on. Um, you can find information about that on the EAG website. It's on the list of you know, separate organized events. Uh, and then your second question was about revenue. Um, at this point, we are a nonprofit. We're just funded by donations. Um, so we have a, a small handful of, of donors who fund the majority of our work and, uh, and then a, you know, sort of trailing off larger number of smaller donors. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you for being a trooper and yes. good leverage teammate for just impromptu doing that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Back to work he goes. Um, uh, Nevid's been helping out in headquarters with EAG things. But um, So Anna, we now supposedly have your slides. So this moment of truth of making sure that they are the correct thing. Um, and so Anna Solomon, again, co-founder of the Center for Applied Rationality. Downloading thing. Um, uh, I'm wondering how much overlap there is between people who were at the uh, Rationality Talk triplet and not. Hands up if you were at the Rationality Talk triplet. Okay, I will repeat myself. Sorry. Um, so myself, I'll say more things. So I work with the Center for Applied Rationality, um, and the thing we're trying to do is cause um, the sorts of people like cause it to be the case that the sorts of people who have the most potential to like actually figure out what might actually work have an accurate model of the world stuck in their head and like can use this to go forth and make the world better. Um, it's not about avoiding emotions. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, why is this necessary? Because it's like useful to be able to think in, on thin ice to think about subjects that don't have good feedback loops. If you're trying to figure out how to like make good cookies and you try the wrong way and your friends make faces, you realize it's wrong. You're trying to figure out about these kinds of subjects that doesn't work as well. Um, so we're trying to, uh, I don't know, people like this are our favorite sorts of people to do this on. That's because arguably maybe some aspects of humanity's next century look a bit like this. It seems like maybe there's a way to do something about it, and maybe that way involves like actually figuring out how, and maybe that's like pretty non-trivial and involves a kind of thinking that we mostly don't know how to do. Fortunately, there are new tools that make it seem like this is like not a bad decade in which to be trying to figure out how to do that. Um, and also, I don't know, like there's figuring out how like a science, and then there's figuring out how like a sort of art that kind of works within individuals. It feels like that happens. Um, I think this has a long history. I think uh, humanity is much better off than it used to be. This is like significantly because we have more accurate beliefs. Um, and it's also significantly because we have more accurate beliefs about how to form beliefs. You know, science isn't like a one-time thing that arrived all in a chunk. It's a thing that's like been more and more elaborated. Today, scientists know a lot of different things that people didn't used to know. And we're still like absolutely not at sort of the physical limits of how you could use these brains to model the world. Um, so that was sort of backdrop and context. I want to talk now about what we're actually up to, um, I think. Um, this slide wasn't in, the, well, whatever. You're going to talk about what we're up to. 
Um, we have um, six core staff of who might put the photos of those who are actually at this conference, which is most of us. Um, we sit around and try to figure out, like read cognitive science, try and figure out what's going on, try and create art that like, sorry, art of rationality, like actually helps, test it informally, not up to the level of RCTs yet. An example of the sort of thing we do is like trying to get better dialogue between your implicit models of the world and your formal verbal models um, by saying things like, you know, here you are at the conference, right? Ask yourself, if suppose that you, something totally changes your life here, suppose a genie told you that, um, what comes to mind? Would you be surprised if, if a genie told you that? Would you be surprised if a genie didn't tell you that? Different thing we talk about, trigger action plans, things like enter the office, take the stairs, hear something I disagree with, ask what I'd expect to see if that thing were true. Um, notice the microphone away from my face, put it back toward my face. <laughs> um, Bayesian definition of evidence, like trying to think really concretely about what would be, what you would in fact see if different things were in fact the case, and how to navigate that. Um, we develop these things in general. We test them at workshops full of people like you. Um, they're kind of expensive, but EAs are our favorite kinds of people to get financial aid to. So if you're interested, you should like, at, you should at least talk to us before deciding that you like you don't want to go because it's expensive. We cultivate that same set of people more with alumni workshops and events, which is good because it gives us sort of a set of like hardcore rationality developers who are like trying things out with us and seeing if it in fact seems to help produce better answers. Um, we just spent three weeks training a group of people um, on Muri's dime to be able to do um, like FAI, like research into safe AI design, which was really fun. We were like trying to figure out how to actually design scientists. We run a program called Spark for high school, for like very bright high school students who want to figure out, I don't know, trying to help them be able to use their math brain for like actually tackling the world's problems and not just for math. Um, and like everyone, we're limited by lots of things. Um, one thing that helps is good alumni, especially good alumni who care about the world because like lots of people pay money to come, but it's nice when people also care and come and then the caring and the effectiveness sort of mix socially. Um, we are in fact currently somewhat funding constrained. We have good people who want to work for us and we will have to find more money before we hire them. Um, we'd love more sort of scientists, like if you have ideas for scientific sorts of groups to run trainings on, I think this is very good for rationality development. I think you begin to like understand something of the secrets of the world when you like try and help people who are trying to like make scientific predictions in a way that like helping people with productivity and relationships and so on isn't quite as good. Um, also ideas and unknown unknowns are always welcome. Thanks. <laughs>